So I used to love tug of war. I mean, what's not a lot to, not to like about tug of war? Two opposing forces, digging in deep, pulling against each other, trying to pull the other person past a certain point to where there's a winner and there's a loser. And I love what you see when you see tug of war because you see faces contort, right? They get, you get the ugly exercise face. And you understand what the ugly exercise face is. And if you don't, man, it's awesome. And so you have that going on. You have people digging in deep and they're stretching their ligaments and they're, they're giving their everything. Of course, unless they just let go of the rope and then it's funny to watch the other team just tumble down. But tug of war is an incredibly awesome game in my opinion because I love the intensity. I love the grit that goes behind it. And I really used to like it a lot until about eight and a half years ago. Because you see... Eight and a half years ago, I had a life-changing experience with tug-of-war. And you're probably thinking, how could you have a life-changing experience with tug-of-war? I did. You see, I used to be in charge of our middle and high school ministry at our Kernersville location. And we would frequently play different games and have competitions like tug-of-war. And so one warm summer night, just pause for a second and think about that, how, how good that would feel. One warm summer night, we decided we're going to play tug-of-war. And we got a big industrial rope. I mean, it was heavy and it was long. And we went outside and we matched teams up. And there was a group of high school boys that kept winning. And you know how that goes, right? I mean, high school boys, they're dominating, they're winning. And guess what? They're talking. And that gets kind of old after a while, right? And one of our leaders thought he had a really good idea to shut them up. So he secretly snuck over to a pickup truck, and he colluded with the owner of the pickup truck, to tie the rope on one end to the back of the pickup truck while the high school boys were on the other side. And so the teams line up, and the high school boys, you know, they're already like, hey, we're going we're to smoke you. We're going to kill you. And, and it's just getting, it's getting raw. And so they, they get down in their position, their stance, ready to tug. And I say, go. <laughs> and, and it's like the rope goes, whoosh, you know, it was, like, it was just like a rubber band being flicked across a room, and it comes flying out of their hands, and they're dealt this humiliating defeat, and they cannot understand why until they see that pickup truck pulling away with a rope attached to it. And it was so funny to me. I was like, this is one of the greatest moments of my day. And so as we watched that happen, and something really bad happened. Um, one of the boys decided it would be a good idea if he tied the rope around his hand and his wrist to really dig in and get a good grip. But what happened is when the truck pulled the rope, the force of the truck ripped ligaments in his wrist and it broke his fingers to where his hand turned into a claw, right? And a hand isn't supposed to look like this. But, I mean, like, for the rest of his life, he's now waves like this. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't really wave like this. But his hand got ripped really to, to shreds. I mean, he had broken fingers. He had shredded ligaments in his wrist. And for me, it was horrific when he walked over and he's like, uh, Pastor Brian, uh, this, is, this just happened. I'm like, what did you do? I, so you wrapped, what had happened was I, I wrapped the rope around my head. We did what? Why would you do that? That was a fun phone call to the mom. Um, Mrs. So-and-so, um, your son needs to go to the doctor. Uh, why? 
uh, we were playing a game and not very much fun. So since then, I haven't really been fond of wanting to play tug of war because that was a scarring experience. And, and really, literally, the only game of tug of war we play now in my house and, and with anything I'm involved in looks a little bit like this. This girl, she's, she's vicious. Her name is Clove. She weighs about 10 pounds, uh, four ounces. And she here has assumed the uh, tug-of-war stance that's needed. You know, where you, you dig in deep, you squat your legs, you get your legs into it because your legs are way stronger than the upper body. And she's got that pull with her teeth because she didn't have hands. So she has to use her teeth. And, and she's got the eye of the tiger, which, I mean, I guess you could say it's eye of the dog. But she's digging in deep. And, and here's my son, Matt. And he's, well, he's not really trying very hard because he weighs more than she does. But they're having fun. And we do this in our house. And some people have told me this is really bad for dogs. And I'm like, I don't care. It's fun. So we play tug of war with this girl. And that's the only tug of war we literally play physically in my house. But this is what I've learned when it comes to marriages Sometimes, if I'm not careful, I can also play tug-of-war with this girl. And this girl is my wife, Brooke. Isn't she pretty? Oh, my gosh. I'm married up. And she had no idea I was going to lose all my hair, but um, it happens. And so we, we got married there 20 years ago, and it was a great day for me. And I hope to say she would say the same thing. I think she would. Um, but we've been married for 20 years, and what happens sometimes is we can play a tug-of-war in our marriage, and not with a physical rope, but when it comes to things like our agendas, or our preferences, or our approaches, or our priorities, or how we're going to do our schedules, or our opinions. And it's like, oh my goodness, agendas, uh, preferences, uh, approaches, priorities, schedules, opinions, and they start clashing, and we start pulling on one another. I want my way. I want, I want my approach because my approach is the best way, right? The way I do things is the best way, right? The way I do dishes, the way I do laundry, the way I do things around the house, the way I parent, I do it the best way, right? We can naturally think that. We naturally think our way is better than the other. And so I kind of wanted to illustrate this by playing a little game of Guess Who. Guess Who's a fun game. I don't know if you've ever played Guess Who, but it's fun, and it's fun to, to guess. So I decided I would write down on this card how I am wired and how Brooke is wired and how these can sometimes clash with one another. And I want you to guess which person you think I'm talking about. So we have person number one, and we have person number two. So here we go. Person number one is introverted. Person number one doesn't want you crashing their bubble unless they know you. Person number two is extroverted and energized by people. Person number one is a slow, thoughtful processor. It takes them a while to make decisions. While person number two is a fast processor and sometimes they make decisions very quickly and maybe impulsively. Person number one is inclined toward peace and rest. While person number two is inclined toward excitement and action. Person number one is a night person and is energized at night. Person number two is a morning person and wants to have lots of conversation in the morning. Person number one does not like this. Person number one in the morning wants coffee immediately and 30 minutes of absolute quiet. And if you talk to them, buyer beware. 
Person number one likes a flexible flow with how things are managed in the house. Person number two likes structure and order and everything has a home. Person number one really enjoys quality time. Time together, one-on-one, face-to-face, no interruptions. Person number two enjoys a clean house and everything being in its home. Person number one arrives fashionably late, like every time. Person number two is early when they're in control. And person number one is subtle in their conflict style and how they resolve conflict. It's subtle. It's not always straightforward. While person number two tends to be very direct and to the point. So... As you hear me describe person number one and person number two, who is person number one? How did you know? It's like you know us. Yeah, it's okay. Person number one is Brooke. I'm person number two, and she has to tolerate me. And this is the thing that I've really discovered over the years, and, and you guys can, can relate to this by your, your giggles. You betray yourself to say, oh, I see myself there, or I see a combination of myself there. But one of the things that I've just even realized just over the last few weeks and the last few months is that oftentimes I try to make her like me. I try to make her relate to me like I want her to. Like maybe if I I do a little bit more around the house and for her to love her, that she'll be motivated to do more. Wrong. That's not how it works. And, And I've started to realize that I didn't marry her to force her to be like me. I didn't marry her to force her to be in my image. Gross, that's weird. I married her because she was different. I married her because she brought something different to my life. And I loved it. When I stood up there and we said, I do, I was like, man, I'm so glad we're not the same because we would kill each other if she was like me. We need more people in the world like her. But what's happened over the years is oftentimes we've clashed over agendas, preferences, approaches, preferences, priorities, schedules, opinions, and you just go round and round and round. And we play this elaborate game of tug of war if we're not careful. And you hear me talk about this and like, you guys are messed up. And I'm like, yeah, we are kind of messed up sometimes, but so are you because you understand what I'm talking about. We all do. And some of you are in this room and you're like, I'm not married yet. How does this relate to me? Well, more than likely you will be someday. And if you, if you dial in, tune in, listen in to what I'm saying now, you could save yourself a lot of heartache. I'm hoping that some of you will look back one day and go, oh, when he said that on February the 24th, 2019, that one thing, because generally we remember like one thing from a talk, even though there's a lot of words, we remember one big thing. That one thing helped me in my marriage, in my relationship. If you are married, you already know we all need help. We can all get better at doing this marriage thing. And I would say, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, which we're in this room all the time, we have people that that don't buy into the Jesus stuff. You still can can grow in your marriage. You still um, can, can grow in this whole idea of working together and being better together. Because see, none of us, 
want to fight and against each other and compete with one another. None of us want to do that. None of us want to play this game of tug of war with our, our spouse. So why do we do it so often? That's a good question. And here's the idea that I've been thinking about like as, as we dive into this deeper. I've been thinking about this idea uh, for the last couple of weeks and it's, it's like this whole idea of winning and losing and tug of war is wrapped up in it. But I was thinking about this in our marriage. This is so important. And if you, if you can remember anything I say today, this would probably be one of the top three things I hope you remember. Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan said in week one that, that two have become one, right? So two become one. And based on that idea, when it comes to winning and losing, when one of us loses, we both lose. Think about that. You're over there pulling a rope symbolically, with your husband or with your wife, trying to win, trying to get your way. And you may get that rope further to your side or they may get their rope further to their side. But here's the thing. When one of you lose, you both lose. Your success is tied together when two have become one. So maybe a different approach would be better. Because I don't, I don't know a well-adjusted person that would say, I love to lose. I hope my marriage loses. No way. That's psychotic. No one ever would say that. No, you want to win. We love to win. When Duke and North Carolina played Wednesday, Carolina fans were happy because Carolina killed them. And some of you Duke fans are like, too soon, bro. Too soon. When one of us loses, we both lose. And so the question we have to ask is, how can I win in my marriage? How can I win? And to do that, we're going to go back to a guy who lived 3,000 years ago. And you're like, 3,000 years ago? That's a long time. How can anything good come from 3,000 years ago? Well, it, 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 there's a lot that's good that comes from 3,000 years ago. But I want to tell you a little bit about this guy because when you think about what he was uh, what he had and what he was all about, it's pretty incredible. He was the richest man of his era. Now, I want you to think about being the richest person in the world right now. Is that a weird to think about? Like, if, if that were you, you would have to make more than the CEO and founder of Amazon, who is worth over $100 billion. And if we were playing Jeopardy together, I would say, who is Jeff Bezos? Worth more than $100 billion. Can you fathom having $100 billion? You could do anything you wanted. You could go anywhere you wanted. You could, you could spin the globe. And you could point to a place on the map and say, I don't want to go there. You could walk into the store. And I, I saw a documentary on Michael Jackson year, years ago. And you could walk into the store and Michael Jackson would say, I want that, 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 I want that. You could do that. Can you imagine going to the store and saying, I want this whole store? Crazy. Can't fathom it. And on top of it, he was the smartest man of his era. He had like the combination of Jeff Bezos and Albert Einstein together and so much more. And he lived 3,000 years ago. And people would come to listen to him. And they would hear him speak. And they would want to listen to him speak more. And they'd be like, this was so good. I want to hear more. 
He had everything that a lot of us would want. And yet here's the thing about King Solomon. When he got toward the end of his life, he, he, he wrote a book that's contained in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And he concluded that a lot of it was meaningless. Can you imagine having, let's just say for the sake of our conversation right now, having $100 billion, being considered the most intelligent person in the world, and concluding that, oh, it's really meaningless. <laughs> I can't either. I can't either. I can't comprehend the money. I can't comprehend the intelligence. I've got a long way to go. But Solomon writes some words that can be extremely helpful for us who are married and who are going to be married. And I want to dig into those this morning. And so we're going to pick it up here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. Here we go. He said, I've observed yet another example of something meaningless. So he's been talking about all this meaningless stuff, stuff that we love us value very highly. He said, I've observed another example of something meaningless under the sun. Literally, the word meaningless means breath or vapor. Now, if you were to think about your breath, which we don't think about our breath very often unless it's funky, but if you were to think about your breath, <sighs> breathing in and out, how fast is that? It's fast. And some of you are like, I'm going to hold my breath. It, eventually, you're going to let it out, right? And he's saying, I've observed all this stuff that we're about to talk about, and it's meaningless, like a breath. So he continues. This is a case of a man who is all alone. Now, it's possible to be in a marriage relationship and to be functioning like you're all alone. And a lot of you understand that or you've seen that. He said, yet this person works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. The thing that is interesting to me about people who are workaholics is it's celebrated, right? Being a workaholic is celebrated in our culture. Showing up early, Staying late, it's the pathway to a promotion. But it can murder your relationships. And I'm not saying, you're like, Brian, are you saying I shouldn't work hard? Are you saying I shouldn't put in extra effort? No, you should give it your very best effort. But quite often, people get so consumed with the money they're making that they forget the relationships in their lives. And they become financially rich, but relationally poor. Financially rich, but relationally poor. As some of you, you know people who are financially rich, but relationally poor. And he goes on to say this. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Meaningless and depressing. And th this made me think about uh, something that came across ESPN's ticker. And, and you don't have to be a sports person to, to know who I'm about to tell you about. But Friday, ESPN, it popped up. One of my sons texted me about it instantly. And the, the whole thing was an NFL owner was charged with solic soliciting, it's hard to say, a prostitute. And my son was like, What? And I think his whole what was about this NFL owner that's worth $4 billion 
having worked extremely hard, been extremely successful, winning six Super Bowl championships, being in 10 Super Bowls over 25 years, having $4 billion, being highly esteemed, choosing to go to a strip mall in some place in Florida to solicit a prostitute. Now, why would someone do that? I mean, dude's got a 39-year-old girlfriend. What? Dude's doing good in so many ways. And yet, he's soliciting a prostitute. And made me sit back and think about this and go and, and, and think it's not ever enough. The stuff is not ever enough. You always find yourself wanting more. It doesn't satisfy. There's not fulfillment in being financially rich but relationally poor. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we may not be on the extreme of having $4 billion or $100 billion or being the most intelligent person in the world, but we're working so hard and yet we have a tremendous deficit. And Solomon's saying, it's meaningless. It's like a breath, it's a vapor, it's gone. It doesn't fulfill, it doesn't satisfy. Then he continues, verse nine. But this is, this is, this is and this applied to marriage, I think is phenomenal here. Two people are better off than one. So two are better off than one. For they can help the other succeed. Two are better than one because it can help the other succeed. I love this idea. And when it comes to marriage, I think about, man, that's been true for me. Like, my wife and I, we are polar opposites. And yet, I can't imagine life without her. Something that's so exciting for me is... Three years ago almost, we together with a group of people launched the Summit Church Jamestown. Next month, March 17th, which is also St. Patty's Day, we get to celebrate our third birthday of being here and, and, and doing what we do every week on Sunday and being in our community. And we're going to be wearing green and gold and we're going to have all kinds of stuff in our hallway. We're even going to have a green drink, not green beer. And some of you are disappointed, but we're going to have a green drink because it's just going to be that kind of day that's worth celebrating. And let me tell you something. Brooke has been instrumental in making that happen. She has been behind the scenes as my sounding board to say, that's a bad idea. Or that's a great idea. Hercules, Hercules. She's also been our volunteer video director. She's almost been a part of every setup and teardown uh, we've had of, because we have to set this up portably and tear it down. She's been a part of almost every single one of those over three years. She's been up here to service host and, and, and actually even speak a message. I mean, she's like a Swiss army knife, y'all. She can do so much. I'm married way over my head. That's kind of romantic. You're my Swiss army knife. <laughs> Try it later, guys. I don't know. That may not work so well. But we help each other succeed. My success is tied to her success. And her success is tied to my success. And what I've concluded is that two as one is better than one as one. That two as one is better than one 
as one. And I love this kind of math because it's simple. When I say the word math, some of you are like, Ugh, math, I hate math. Right? Some of you have flashbacks. Some of you are currently thinking about, yeah, I see her, I see her nodding. She's like, I hate math. And I start saying things about uh, quadratic equations and, and formulas and polynomials. And you're like, oh, stop. And I'm like, I'm right there with you because I don't use any of that stuff in my life. Like I had to do this stuff in school and it's like torture. It's mean to kids. And you have to go through that. And you have to pass this to get to the next level. And, and I, I wouldn't do that to anybody if it was up to me. I'd be like, you don't have to take that. You're never going to use that in life. Oh, well, you might do math in the grocery store. I'll pull out my phone. That only requires addition and multiplication. I'll figure it out. There's somebody here, you're a mathematician, and I'm quite sorry because you would tell me all the reasons that logically math is applied in life. And I, need, I don't care. <laughs> Good for you. I'm sorry if I offended you, but that's how I feel. I like simple math. Two as one. Two is one. It's better than one is one. And then what I like is, as he talks about how to win in marriage, Solomon, he writes about the benefits that come with that. Pick it up in verse 10. He said, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And I think about this. I think about a story that happened, traumatic story that happened to me. It's about three years ago. I was at Glen High School watching a soccer game, which I've done a lot in my life. My son Mike is playing. It's raining. Raining hard. The game ends. Can't wait to get out of there. And we're getting up on the concrete bleachers. I'm walking down. And I slip, and I fall on my rump. Boom! And I don't know if you've ever played baseball before, and you've hit a ball off your hands, but that felt like that in my butt. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that hurt. I filled it up my spine. It's like that was one of the worst pains I ever experienced. And I fell in a puddle on top of it, and the puddle's like water's all over me. And I'm like, oh, miserable, it's cold. You understand this with the weather we've had over the last few days. And I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there like this poor uh, person, and this young man walks over to me, and he's like, old man, do you need help up? He didn't call me old man. But he said, sir, do you need help? And I'm like, no. And so I pick my ego and pride up off the ground. And as I'm standing up, I turn around to see Brooke behind me. And to my dismay, she's laughing hysterically. Why are you laughing? When you fell in the puddle, I went, Psh. And when she tells the story, she still tells it like that. I'm like, not funny, but funny. Psh. She said, the water was, Psh. I'm so glad that that's not her approach when I really go through hard emotional times because we've been through some hard stuff, y'all. We, we've had family members pass away. Mom, my grandmother had a stroke this weekend, like, there's stuff that it seems like it's always happening, and it happens in a lot of your lives too. We've been through job transitions that were painful. We've had people that we thought we were good friends with, and then something happens, and we don't even know what happens, and we're not good friends anymore. And I'm like, I don't know. You try to have conversations, and it just gets weird, and it's like, how, how do you deal with that? 
We've had lots happen over the years. But here's the thing about the 20 years of going through the hard times. You know, parenting, you can, you can throw a lot in that bowl. We've been there for each other to pick each other up when the other's down. And we have 20 years of shared history that now uh, give us a lens where we look at each other to say, you've been there for me. You've had my back. And what that does for us and, and the love that we have, it's rich. It's deep. And a lot of people give up on that way too fast. They never get there to experience the good stuff. It's like a fine wine that is aged over time. It's a benefit of having someone there to help pick you up. And then it continues in verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together, hmm, I like that, can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? All right. So it's been cold and rainy. It's been nice to have someone to sit on the couch with. Keep each other warm. It's been nice to go to bed at night, and she's right there, and she keeps me warm. It's also nice to have the benefit of sex. And you're like, ooh, didn't know we were going there. I'm going to tell you something. It's not initially, I think, what was initially intended here as he's writing, but let me, let me, let me say this. Sex is a great part and a gift in marriage. God gave it to us to be experienced husband and wife, exclusive. And it, it helps with the oneness in the relationship. And when, and when there is that peace, there's safety when you're committed to one another because you know that you're not putting yourself at risk to, to get someone else pregnant. You know you're not at risk to get a, a STD. You're not at risk to have the emotional consequences that come with binding together and ripping apart and, and, and binding together and ripping apart. It's one person. And that ex exclusive, I can't say it, being exclusive, it breeds intimacy. It breeds closeness. And it's like fire in the fireplace that keeps you warm. You take fire out of that context, it can be extremely destructive. But fire in the fireplace, fire in the fire pit has a great context. And God gave us that gift to be enjoyed. It's a benefit of marriage. And then in verse 12, he concludes with these two pieces. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. We have each other's back no matter what. We have each other's blind spot no matter what. We go to war together. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to know that I'm not alone in this because we face so many hard things in life. And then the last part of this verse, three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And I want to say in our lives, that, that third piece has been Jesus. And you may not believe in Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, no one else could offer love that's unconditional. Nobody but Jesus. He gave his life for us. No one else can offer us forgiveness. Some of us would just love to know that we're forgiven, period. There's someone in our lives, gosh, we'd love to know that they forgive us. But no one can offer us that forgiveness. No one can offer us purpose. But Jesus gives us purpose beyond ourselves. He gives us purpose for our marriage, realizing that our marriage is not just for us. And when he's involved, it's hard to break that bond. 
And then another way to look at this is that there are other people, there are mentors and friends and family who have supported, I know, our marriage and help keep it binded together. And they push us together. If you have someone in your life that pulls your marriage apart, you need to push them a little bit further out of having influence with you. We need people to push us together, not pull us apart. And, and then the last piece of all that is when we begin to invest in others, we lead a small group, a couples group. We have to look in the mirror. We have to look at ourselves because we're sitting down with people trying to help them grow in their marriages. And we have stuff that sometimes get in the, gets in the way. And so it forces us to look inside. And when we look inside like looking into a mirror, we have to deal with it because we don't want to sit there and be a hypocrite and say, hey, this is what you should do in your marriage when we're not doing it ourselves. What's one of the benefits of investing in others? It helps you grow. It's hard to break. I want every marriage in this church and in our community to be unbreakable because Jesus is involved and other people are pushing you together and not pulling you apart. Powerful words from a very wise man written long ago to help us grow in our marriages. And for some of you, you're in an elaborate game of tug of war with that other person. And it's taking you away from that oneness and you're function, functioning independently, not interdependently. And I would say my biggest challenge to you this morning is to drop the rope. No more competition. Drop the rope. We're going to fight together and for each other, not against each other. And, I, and one of the things I like to do is give people practical ways they can do and to put into action what we talked about. So I'm going to give you 10 very fast ways you can drop the rope. And it's going to be so fast, it may make your head spin. So buckle up. Here we go. First way, one of the first ways I've learned is to slow down and reflect. <laughs> okay, well, that's kind of a, you contradicted yourself there, Brian. Um, we do need to slow down and reflect because life moves so fast. But if we don't take time to evaluate and, and actually reflect on where we, we've been and where we're going, we're in danger of making mistakes. And I would say that hurry is the enemy of your relationships. Hurry is the enemy of your marriages. And none of us like to be around someone who likes to hurry us, right? I mean, none of you are like, I hope one day I meet someone that hurries me. Um, I love it when my mom hurries me. No, you don't like people that hurry you. You just want to, no, you don't want to do that. So slow down and reflect. The second thing is schedule FaceTime. Face-to-face time. Brooke and I have a date night once a week, every week to get us on the same page, to make sure we're talking about things that really matter. I put my phone on do not disturb. <gasps> yeah. It is a beautiful, freeing feeling. You can't interrupt me for these two hours. She's my priority. Undivided attention, undivided time. We schedule FaceTime, date night, coffee, whatever you want to call it. We schedule FaceTime. Third thing, humble yourself. The writer of James, his name is James. He wrote in James 4, 6, humble yourself before the Lord. Or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm actually, James 4, 6. Um, those who are proud will be opposed, um, but God gives grace to the humble. I'm actually quoting another verse, my bad. But God will oppose you when you are proud. He gives grace when you are humble. Humble yourself. Fourth one, take a T.O., baby. You've heard that before if you've been around basketball. Duke could have used more of these the other night, right? Sorry. 
Have a bad memory. Some of you are like, I already got that one down. I got a bad memory. Have a bad memory when it comes to the bad stuff. Be quick to forgive. Sixth thing, be a student. Be observant. When you see your husband or wife light up, take note and do that. Do what you can. If you can even buy that thing for them now, I know there are things that are beyond their means, but there may be things that you can buy for them or things you can do for them. When you see them light up, pay attention. Be curious. Be a student. Ask good questions. But you got to take the time to do it. Expand your army is my next point. Expand your army. Include people that push you together, not pull you apart. Begin with the end in mind. Think about what do you want people to say about you when your funeral comes? Because most people will sum your life up in one sentence. What do you want those words to be? What do you want your husband or wife to say about you? And then invest in others. One of the best ways to, to, to grow is to look internal. And by investing in others, it forces you to look in the mirror as you help others develop. And then lastly, most importantly, is to invite Jesus. Invite Jesus into the process. He wants to be involved in the process. And he, he's the only one that can offer love, forgiveness, and purpose. And he can make your marriage something more far beyond what you ever imagined it being. Invite Jesus into the process. Some of you, you're like, you know what? You just need to start with one of these things. But I would challenge you to write them down, take a picture, because I can tell you, I don't have these all mastered, but these have been important in my life to help me grow in my marriage and to be everything that God has called me to be. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to challenge you to drop the rope because two as one is better than one as one. And I want to tell you a quick story uh, to kind of finish our time out here together. Uh, my son Micah and I were talking recently. We were talking about dating. And dating can be hard, right? You're trying to impress the other person. You're putting your best foot forward. Sometimes it can feel awkward, difficult. But my son, Micah, we were talking about dating and we we're talking about the future. And I said, Micah, do you want to have kids one day? Yeah, I want to have kids one day. Micah, so you want to have kids one day, so that means you want to be married. I mean, you don't have to be married to have kids, but that's the ideal situation. Yeah, yeah, I want to be married for sure. Yeah, I want to, dad, you're a psycho. Why would you say that? So, Micah, what do you want in a future wife, the mother of your kids? He sat and he thought about it. He said, I want her to be like mom. I want her to have the qualities that mom has. And I went, wow. You could not have paid us a bigger compliment. Because what you're indirectly saying is, I want what you have. I want that. And what I want for you, what I want for our community, is for people to look at your marriage and say, I want that. Here's the beautiful thing. When you drop the rope and you begin to function as two as one, being better than one as one, you're freed up. You're freed up to have the marriage that people can see and go, I want that, and freed up to have the marriage that you want to have. But it takes focused determination and dedication, working together, being better together. So my challenge to you is, where do you need to drop the rope? 
where you need to drop the rope and what could happen if you did. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you want to be involved in our marriages. We thank you that we are better together because of you. We thank you that with Jesus we can have forgiveness, love, and purpose. And we thank you, God, that you created this whole marriage thing and, and that you, you do this incredible thing of taking two and making them one. And, God, we, we know that it's better than one as being one. So I pray you would give us the courage to drop the rope wherever that may be and to take our next step in receiving and sharing your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.